Well, the choir has just given a synopsis of my sermon. Thank you. And so if you forget what I said, you can take your bulletin home and just read the text. There is a little bit more, though. We never can complain about our choir, but we do complain about other things. There was a church member who angrily complained to his pastor that the church had wastefully purchased five brooms, and he felt the expenditure to be unnecessary. Well, the pastor mentioned this to the church treasurer, who responded, well, no, no wonder he was upset. If you saw everything you gave in the past year tied up in five brooms, how would you feel? It's said that the Lord created the world in six days and rested on the seventh and on the eighth day started receiving complaints. <laughs> Hundreds of years before Christ, we read about the Israelites grumbling to Moses in the wilderness for God's, about God's lack of provision. And now in today's gospel passage, the Pharisees are continuing the tradition with Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners were coming to listen to Jesus, and the religious leaders were displaying their boundaries, because we have to have boundaries. And they said, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, boundaries are good sometimes. And so we can't help grumbling, too, when someone gets more than we think they deserve. In a commentary on today's gospel passage, Alan Culpepper notes, typically we want mercy for ourselves and justice for others. We want mercy for ourselves and justice for others. A boy was helping his mother serve pie to his father and some other guests who were dining with them that night, and he would go to the kitchen and get the piece of pie, and he would bring it out to his dad, and his dad would take it and pass it to somebody else at the table. And he, he went through this several times, went to the kitchen, came back, gave a piece of pie to his dad, and the dad passed it around. Well, finally the little boy leaned over to his dad and said, it's no use, mom cut all the pieces the same size. <laughs> Well, we can't help but want that bigger piece of pie or the greater measure of mercy because we know we mess up and we know we need forgiveness. We hope that those we hurt will forgive us for the damages, even though sometimes we, in turn, forget and withhold forgiveness from others. We prefer that life be fair as we understand fair and not as God understands fair or as someone else understands fair. Well, like the shepherd who lost the sheep and the woman who lost a coin worth a day's wage, we lose things too. On one episode of the TV series Super Nanny, the producers had sent a family with six young children to Florida, a Florida resort, so that they could learn how to have fun together. They were just too stressed out with their life as it was. So one day, it took the family 60 minutes 
to get ready to go from their suite upstairs to the beach downstairs. 60 minutes. And it turns out that the culprit was one lost shoe that had been wrapped in a beach towel from the day before. So we all lose things. We don't know that disorganization was the problem for the shepherd or for the woman in the house. But they both had lost something of great value. Tim Merrill notes that we don't always make the same effort to find what we've lost. He says, if I lose my wallet, the search for the wallet gets a level one priority. It must be found. Car keys, level one. A magazine or the morning newspaper, well, that's probably level five. A diamond ring, level one. A missing photograph, level three or higher, depending on the sentimental value because of who's in the picture. And that's the key word is value. We will spend hours looking for something we value. And that's what the Pharisees couldn't understand, that Jesus was hanging out with sinners. In their opinion, people who had less value. And he wasn't hanging out with the important people as much. In the letter we call 1 Timothy, Paul writes that he was the worst or the foremost of sinners. And yet for that very reason, he was shown mercy. So that in Paul, he says, Christ Jesus might display his endless patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. I just love that phrase, endless patience. I want endless patience. <laughs> But Jesus has it. So Paul, as our example of the lost sheep or the lost coin, shows us how merciful Jesus can be. Because he had been cruel. He had been insulting. He had been out to kill people. And yet Jesus was merciful to him. My mom says about my dad, I chased him until he caught me. Jesus chased Paul until Paul caught Jesus. And then he took off running. Paul realized that other people had value. And because of that, he wanted to help them know about God's mercy and God's gracious gift of eternal life. Now, eternal life, that was our theme for this week's Transformation Journal, and our group had a hard time talking about that, and we decided that one of the reasons is because we don't know. We have no idea. In fact, I think, our, I think that Western Christianity has kind of evolved through a focus on eternal life, because our lives today, in the here and now, where we focus, are easier. They're easier than we were back then, and so there's not such a push to get to the end of life and then to enjoy the eternal life that awaits, that awaits. But even so, even without that push for eternity, do we value people enough to want to offer them the grace and mercy of God? 
maybe it would help us to remember how life was without it. What was life like for us before we encountered God? Empty? Dull? Hopeless? How much value do we give to people when we just let them continue living the way that we used to live? For Paul, the amazing race was to teach as many other people about Jesus as possible. He found something of great value and was willing to put his whole life on the line for it. What is that for you? What do you value most? In a book called Leadership Essentials that Church Council is going to study, the first chapter is on our values. We're invited to write down the values that are most important to us from a page with four columns in small type of suggestions. Here are just a few. Adventure, beauty, commitment. Are any of these your values? Discipline, equality, family, gratitude, honor, independence, joy, knowledge, love, money, could go on and on. What do you value? For what are you willing to search endlessly? Now that's part of the story. The most challenging lesson, though, may be in the verses that wrap up the two parables. One of them, the one after the lost sheep, says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. And after the parable about the lost coin, just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, of course, a sheep and a coin can't repent. But the idea is that we all rejoice when one sinner repents. We're invited to celebrate with them their joy, their relief, their freedom, their new hope. Now that sounds really good, but is it easy? Not always. Because it means giving up a part of ourselves. It means giving up something that we value for something that they value. Um, Christy Treese sent me this story. And as you hear it, think about what the opposing team gave up. Shay was a physically and mentally handicapped child. As he and his father walked past a park where some boys that Shay knew were playing baseball, he said, Shay said to his dad, do you think they'll let me play? Well, his dad, of course, not knowing, but not knowing whether they'd let him play, and yet knowing that if they did, it would be a real boost for Shay went over and approached one of the boys on the field and asked, not expecting much, if Shay could play. The boy looked around for guidance and he said, well, we're losing by six runs and the game is in the eighth inning. 
I guess he can be on our team and we'll try to put him up to bat in the ninth. So Shea struggled over to the team's bench and he put on one of the team's shirts with a broad smile. As his father watched, and his father was the one telling the story, he had a small tear in his eye. And the other boys on the team saw that and knew how much it meant to Shea's father that they had let him play on the team. Well, Shea's team was down by six, and they scored a few runs in the bottom of the eighth, but they were still behind by three. In the top of the ninth, Shea put on a glove and went out to right field. He was obviously pleased to be out there, even though the team may have been glad that no hits went out to right field. In the bottom of the ninth, Shea's team scored again. And now, with two outs and bases loaded, the potential winning run was on base, and who was scheduled to be at bat? Shea. So, does the team let Shea bat and give away their chance to win the game? Well, surprisingly, they did give him the bat. And everyone knew that a hit was all but impossible because Shea didn't even know how to hold the bat properly, much less connect with the ball. But he went up to the plate, and the pitcher recognized that the other team was putting winning aside for this moment in Shea's life. So he moved in a few steps, and he tossed the ball, just a short lob. And Shea missed on the first, and so then the pitcher took a few more steps closer, and he lobbed the ball again. Well, Shea connected. Barely, but he connected. And it was, you know, bouncing its way out towards the pitcher, and everyone knew that the pitch, you know, this was an easy out. Well, the pitcher picked up the ball and threw it way over the first baseman's head. And everyone started saying, Shay, run, run to first base. And so slowly he made it to first base. Well, the first baseman took his time getting to that ball, and everyone was saying, Shay, run to second, go to second. And so he started making his way towards second. Well, by this time, the first baseman had the ball, could have easily gotten it to the second baseman, who have, could have tagged out Shay, but he threw it way over the third baseman's head. So everyone was saying, Shay, run to third, run to third. And the shortstop from the opposing team takes Shay and points him towards third base. So he's heading towards third, and the ball still is way far out, and so the third baseman overthrows it to the home while Shea's on his way home. All the other guys have scored, and Shea brings in the winning run with the grand slam. Yay! <laughs> is that a great story? How powerful. They knew. Something about those kids knew what they needed to do to make this young boy feel of value. They valued him more than they valued winning. They gave up their ego and their pride, and in the end received a greater share in return. And the same thing would happen to us if we took that energy and that courage to tell other people about our experiences with Jesus Christ.
Couldn't we all celebrate together? Would that not be a great party? You know, the, the shepherd and the woman with the lost coin, they didn't just say, oh, yay, I found it. No, they wanted to celebrate. Everybody, come together and celebrate. And that is the amazing race that we're all in together. Step by step, sometimes running, sometimes really wanting someone to pull us along. This race of life is an amazing one, but that's why the, if we add another G in there, we have that amazing grace that gets us through, that gets us through everything. Now that we have it, we've got a lot of runners to help on this amazing race. So let's pray for God's courage to do that. You have given us the examples we need, O oh God. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the lessons that he taught us and the way he lived out those lessons so that we too might find strength and courage and hope and be willing and available to share it with others. Whether they know about you or whether they don't, O oh God, remind us that you have given us a call to tell others about you. So we thank you. In the name of our Lord Christ, amen.